Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. Today we're on with Noah Chung, who is our South Region Church Planting Associate Pastor. And we get to talk with him about spiritual disciplines, discerning the will of God in our lives, uh, and also the practice of solitude. So let's get started. I'm Trevor Lovell, and this is the Pastor's Cut with Noah Chung. All right, Noah, great to have you with us. Good being here. Yeah, we uh, ran into some hiccups where Hillary was, she was planning to be here, but she is out of the city and uh, where she happens to be, the internet is not cooperating all that well. So she, she wasn't able to actually join us for this, but uh, she did have a question for us to open up with. And uh, I th- this is what it was. Um, how, how do you go about when you, something you need to kind of process and slow down and think about something in your life? How do you go about doing that? Me first, Trevor, I guess it's just you and me. So uh, yeah, yeah, for me, I, uh, it's two things, really. It's either going for a walk, which it has to be by myself. I can't be with the kids. Or it is physically like journaling, which I found to be very, um, yeah, just a good way to process and to slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I was actually, I was going to say like the same exact thing. Those are the two things that I do. And uh, yeah, go for a walk. And like when you try and walk with kids, it's good because you get like the family time and the exercise, but you have to stop like every five feet. (laughs) And it's just, and you have to watch for every alley and for every street and try. Yeah, it's, um, it's fun, but it's not like the most, it's not the most restorative maybe. Um, Yeah, but I would agree going for a walk to kind of clear your head, which is something that I think has been a practice for a lot of people throughout history. Um, But then journaling is helpful too. Um, yeah. Okay. So Noah, you preached at, um, South loop and Bridgeport this weekend, right? Yes. Could you give us a quick recap of your sermon? Yeah. So, um, as you all know, it's Romans 12 verses one through two. It's a very well known and familiar passage in scripture, uh, uh, two verses that people memorize often as well. And so for me, you know, you can go a lot of different angles with this passage for me. I simply kind of just went verse by verse. Uh, And so what I did is Paul basically gives, you know, one charge in that, in those two verses, which is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so I kind of really, so before I did that, actually, I focused a lot on the therefore by the mercies of God, which is very much recapping all of chapters one through 11. And so I kind of recap that as a kind of a gospel story that Paul gives. And then I went into the first one of, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, kind of shared about how the, the gospel then calls us to respond with our whole life, with our whole life devotion. You know, I think the living sacrifice imagery is really interesting to think about because it's, it's you know, it's referring back to Old Testament animal life sacrifice where, you know, it's not just part of the animal you're sacrificing, but it's the whole animal. And kind of Paul is kind of going back to that imagery to show it's 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 our whole life that demands us to to seek uh, after God and to seek Him in worship, and then I kind of follow that up with two ongoing activities, our practical applications. If you're going to put that, which is of course do not be conformed to this world, or, and then also to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I kind of focused on those two elements of you know. Res- actively resisting what the world is trying to conform us into 
and then going more talking about how um, we are to then be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I really, and I stole this from you, Trevor, which was uh, lean into the spiritual disciplines. Uh, I didn't go through like a specific one, but I went through the importance of doing that, not as uh, the ends, but the means in which God then transforms us and how we aren't the, you know, very much like a farmer or a gardener. We're not the ones who actively transform our lives, but that it's interesting how it's be transformed. It's a passive verb. We are to actively pursue transformation, but then God is the one that actually transforms us through the power of the spirit. Um, and so kind of focusing on that uh, and remembering that, you know, if we don't actively, you know, resist the world and, you know, renew our minds, we will not know or not understand the will of God, which is the last part of the verses. And um, we, we won't grow as Christians. Uh, if we're just passively sitting on our couch expecting to be transformed, just won't happen. Uh, that's, that's not what Paul is you know, talking about here. And so it's a very practical verse. And it also is the thesis of the rest of chapter 12 through 15. And so I kind of lean heavily on that uh, and on the spiritual discipline part. So that's kind of what I shared. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's great, man. Um, yeah, so I'm curious, what, what got cut? Yeah. So for me, the two areas where I decided to cut, which, you know, you can honestly, as I was as I was like, you know, planning this sermon, preparing and things like that, there's just so much depth and even like some of the words, like even like the word transformation or world. And I go into some of them, but the two areas that I decided to cut or one of them actually is this idea of, um, the spiritual act of worship, which could be, you know, some translations say spiritual service or reasonable worship or rational or logical worship or service. It's just a lot of different ways to kind of translate this. And uh, it's interesting because uh, looking at some commentaries and the original language that it has, you know, a lot of people just see this as Paul sharing that this is the natural worship that should come out of um, being a living sacrifice or because of the mercies of God. And uh, I liked how one of them mentioned that it's, it's not so much spiritual or rational, but it's true and total worship. And there, there's this dynamic in that where I feel like for us as Christians, we don't really, we, we, we tend to think of worship as very like one dimensional or kind of in a box. And I think Paul, which we'll get at throughout the rest of the chapters 12 through 15 is this idea where, everything in our lives is worship and how Paul is calling us to that. And I think for us as American Christians, we think of worship as song singing, singing songs or like praying or going to a Sunday gathering, but how worship is like all encompassing whole life sacrifice. And so uh, I, I, I touched on that, but I didn't go too deeply in that. Um, and even like that word itself, it, it's, it's, it could be easily confusing um, in the original language. And so I didn't spend that much time on that, but that's something I did cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting how there's like the, like some go spiritual worship, some go rational service. And it's like, well, how can it be, how can it be both those, especially when it's like the two words paired together. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's almost like there's a thickness of meaning to it. Uh, which can be kind of kind of fascinating to see where um, you know it's not it's not super clear but kind of intentionally not so in order to 
you know, like you're saying, all of all of life is worship, entire way of life. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, so what else got cut? Yeah, the second thing that I didn't really talk too much about was um, the last part of verse two, where um, it, you know, basically Paul says, so that you may test or approve what is the will of God, or I think discern, depending on the translation you're reading, uh, what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, uh, and perfect or complete. And even some of those words are like kind of interchangeable. And I didn't spend too much time on that because when you start talking about the will of God, it definitely opens up a ton of different, like, you know, like a can of worms and like, what, what are you talking about? The will of God. Right. Um, and I think it's like, you know, if you want to go deeper in it, I, I feel like it's kind of too full, like it's multifaceted, but like the two areas that I feel like Paul is really addressing here is the will of God, which he just mentioned, which is, uh, by, you know, he mentioned by the mercies of God, right? The will of God, it was that very much chapters one through 11. It, it was what God had ordained and planned from the beginning when humans, you know, humanity sinned and Christ, you know, he would send a savior through his son, Jesus Christ and die on the cross and save us from our sins and empower us with the Holy Spirit. Like it's that entire narrative, I think, which is the will of God. But then for us, a lot of times we think like, what is God's will for my life? And we kind of make it into more of like an individual uh, interpretation of what is, you know, his will for me and how should we go about doing that? And, and I think it like, I think it includes all of it, but to go really deeply and like, what is the will of God? What is like your calling? Uh, I, I think it, it, you could go that direction. I didn't because it would just take a long time to kind of explain uh, but it is an interesting thing where the will of God is really oriented on who God is and what he has written in scripture and also his narrative for, you know, all of humanity. And then your, and then our will or the calling in our life is really just seeing how it matches and fits in what God has us play in that will or in that narrative. Um, and it's interesting, the, the, the three words that Paul uses, which is, you know, he uses uh, like good, a like goodwill, which is um, how, you know, uh, God's will is good. It's, it's morally good. It's spiritual good. It, it grows us. Uh, and then it's pleasing because it's part of his nature. It's, it's part of what is ultimately the good for human flourishment. And it's perfect because it's no one can improve upon God's will. It's just really interesting to see how, how like if we are actively being transformed, that we would actually begin to fit into that mold of his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so I, I didn't talk so much about that, but it is a, an interesting part where, yeah, there's a lot in it that you could go deeper into. Yeah. 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 Like, like a couple of different facets to it, right. When it comes to understanding like the overall plan of God, but then the specifics of our own lives as well. I, I know that's something that can be like kind of challenging for a lot of people and sort of a difficult thing. And you know, find themselves in certain seasons where they're like, what, you know, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, what, like what's next for me? What's, what's your will for my life? And wrestling with certain decisions, whether it's, you know, jobs or relationships or where they live. What are some of the ways that you kind of uh, help people along in that and kind of understanding how the will of God plays into those sorts of, so, those sorts of decisions? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like I would love to have mentioned that in, in my sermon, but of course time. Uh, but as you asked that question, when I, when I shared in the sermon, like 
for many times, people ask that question when they're in like a rut or when they're stuck or confused or making a challenging decision or question and things like that. And the first question I actually ask them in response to their question of like, what is God's will for my life is how have you been actively like pursuing God and in, in who he is and his will, whether it's in your time in the word, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in community and fellowship, whether it's in part of being a part of his mission, like how much are you actively involved in that? How much are you actively listening to God? And that really determines like, you know, if they're not doing any of that, are they doing very little of that? The, the immediate answer is like, if you're not constantly in like hearing and listening and engaged with God's will for, you know, in scripture and in, in, in the church and part of, you know, listen to his spirit, then no matter how much God tries to tell you his will, you're not going to hear it. Um, it's really what you are wanting to hear uh, and actually being more conformed to the world uh, because you're probably listening to more of things in the world than you are God's word and, and who God is. And so the first thing is like, how actively are you involved? And then if the, it is someone who is actively involved, actively trying to renew their mind and being present in the spiritual disciplines, I think the next question is like, um, is really asking like, you know, sometimes God also allows you to make that decision and his will is greater than your single decision on what it is. If it's, if you're asking people and you're praying and you're seeking out counsel and you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing and still you don't know what the will is, it could be door A, door B, door C, then at a certain point, like you're going to just have to trust and make that decision. Whatever you choose, God will allow that to be formed. Um, and you'll go from there. And so, yeah, I think it's more the first one, though. I feel like the people who are asking that question aren't those who are actively doing the things that I've just said. They're just really trying to get an answer. Like, God's not a genie in a bottle. He's not like a magic eight ball. He's not going to, you know, show you magically in the clouds what your will is or what your decision should be. Should I marry this person? Should I take this job, go to this school? I don't think God works like that. I think God works like a relationship, and he wants you to cons- like consistently be in, in a relationship with them, talking with them, wrestling with them hearing his word and hearing his advice and his, you know, from other Christians that are so much, much more important than you just trying to like figure it out. And so, um, that's what I would say. There's a lot more in that too, where, uh, yeah, it just is, uh, it's a challenging question. I, I think more so for our age, because we really feel like God should answer our, our will. And really we're asking God to just fit his will in our will and not the other way around. And so that's kind of the, the thing where I feel like is, is a, you know, I don't want to open that can of worms in my sermon, but it's really important to know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, even in the way you answered that, you kind of like walk through the same thing Paul does, right? That, you know, are you living in a way that's worshipful? Are you resisting being conformed? Are you participating in the renewal of your mind? And yeah. And it's like, if you're doing those things, it'll kind of just come about, but if you're not, um, yeah, if you're not, it's not going to come around so easily. Uh, that's a good point. Um, one of the things I, I saw in this passage uh, that, you know, the whole spiritual disciplines, I think there's actually like a pretty legitimate connection there with, um, you know, he mentions present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He calls out bodies and minds uh, in this passage. And what's really interesting is if you trace that theme throughout the letter as a whole, just those two words, you actually see them pop up pretty consistently. Um, and even in the very opening chapter, chapter one, he talks about, you know, the effects of sin and humanity that he actually, like, that God kind of gave over um, humanity to their kind of like de- depravity of their minds, which resulted in this idolatry of the body. And then he continues to work that theme of those words in throughout the letter, uh, chapter six, you know, present your bodies as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of sin. Um, chapter seven, uh, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, but I, I serve God with my mind. And then coming all the way to here, uh, chapter 12, sort of that reversal of chapter one, uh, of, you know, the renewal of the mind and, and then the presenting the body as a, you know, as an act of worship. Um, so really kind of a fascinating theme. And I know spiritual disciplines themselves that they've been talked about as uh, like mind-body habits uh, or mind-body practices because of the way that they involve, you know, things we do intellectually with our minds, but also there's a, there's a physicality to them as well. So I, I thought that was really interesting just to see that connection. And uh, I just wanted to ask, what's kind of been your experience with spiritual disciplines just in your own life? Um, are there certain ones that you, that you practice regularly or um, even just kind of intermittently? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I was so thankful when we had our pastors or like kind of our pseudo pastor meeting about talking about this passage that you mentioned, spiritual disciplines, because that is something that I know in the past I've very much committed to and some, you know, some periods of my life just not as engaged with. And, you know, there are definitely a real solid resource. I actually really love, um, and I, don't, I know not everyone loves this book, but uh, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Disciplines. It's an older book written in the 1970s, but, um, you know, I felt that, you know, like you mentioned, their habits, like they're, they, they have to be very much ingrained in the way you do life and the way you, you know, engage. And as I was like doing my own study, um, he, he and also I think Dallas Willard, they mentioned how spirit, there's two types of spiritual disciplines, disciplines of letting go. So disciplines of like abstinence and then uh, disciplines of activity. So like, Letting go is like, you know, solitude, silence, fasting, um, sacrificial giving, things like that. And then activity are things that we are more accustomed to, like prayer, studying the word, fellowship, things like that. And um, yeah, I, I've realized just the, the utter importance of those because when life gets hectic and when things happen, even like now with the pandemic, like if those things aren't regular rhythms in your life, it, it won't ever happen. Um, and when life gets rough and tough and busy, uh, sometimes if they're not habits of devotion, those things will be the first things to go. And so I know for me, I've like wrestled with, you know, I, we have, uh, my family has two young kids or like my wife and I have two young kids and like we're both working and it's, um, I admit that there are some days where I neglected. And so, uh, I've tried to, um, focus on two in the past few months, which is, you know, of course, time in the word and prayer, but then also uh, times of solitude. And so I, I take like every semester. So once every six months or so, I take a solitude retreat for about like eight hours to kind of get away from everything um, and to be in silence and solitude, which is a practice or a, sol- a special discipline that I think is not really practiced much at all nowadays. You know, the agenda for that time is to get nothing done. Like I do it through an organization and they've been really good, but they always tell us in the beginning of our solitude retreat that the aim for today is to produce nothing. And that's such a weird concept for us 
but for us as Christians and in this world, we're like, we have to always be producing something or we're not worthwhile or we're like, you know, we're worthless human beings. But I think there's a moment in our lives where disciplines where of letting go are actually really healthy for us. That's also a Sabbath is very much a discipline of, of letting go. And so um, I'm not perfect by any means. Like I wish I was much better at them, um, but I do see them being extremely important. I think uh, disciplines are disciplines are activities that give space for God to move and work in us. And if we don't give any space to God, then God can't do anything in us, right? And so, um, yeah, yeah, I'm still working on that and, and developing that. And um, but yeah, Trevor, how about you, man? How are you? You know, I'm gonna throw that question mm-hmm. back at you. How are you actively? <laughs> what do you think about it? How are you actively engage in spiritual disciplines? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I would say that I've done the thing, the same thing that you did, not not with an organization. I'm curious what that organization was. Uh, do you mind throwing that out real quick? What what is that that you do that with? So, so I did this solitude retreat when I was in seminary, and it's through these two two women. It's it's it's, it's real. It's very completely like valid. Two women who have been leading spiritual this like spiritual uh, solitude retreats for about like 10, 12 plus years, and they do it at the Catholic seminary in Mundelein, uh, up in Illinois. Oh, Lady of, St. Lady of the Lady of the Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, place beautiful is beautiful. Campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I did it during the pandemic. It was, it was odd, but really, really good. And so they do it from eight to four. And they, I love it because they walk with you through it. Um, and it's called, I believe, uh, I believe they're called Sacred Retreat. Um, I am literally typing it in my computer right now. Their website is mylifeissacred.com. And um, you have to pay for the retreat, uh, which, you know, it's, it's not like a huge chunk, but it's there. And I, I've been doing it because they, they set up time in the morning. They share devotional. They kind of walk you through it. And then you have three hours in the morning, complete silence and solitude, a small break for lunch, and then another three hours in sol- silence and solitude. And then, and then you kind of close together with other people. Um, doing you know, like a small devotional again. And so it's like, a, it's just a really helpful time for me. And it's also like an hour away for me. And so it makes like, it, like a, it's a legitimate like retreat. Like I'm leaving the city way far away to go there. And so all those things like, yeah, I would strongly encourage all Christians to consider solitude uh, and retreat. Um, but that's, that's something I, I kind of, I definitely pitched it for a while, but that's been super helpful for me and my wife actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, man. Um, when it comes to me practicing the spiritual disciplines, I would say that I'd say actually, uh, so one of the books I found incredibly helpful in preparation for this sermon was the ruthless elimination of hurry by uh, John Mark Comer. Uh, a friend had like recommended him to me just recently. And so I was, I listened to a sermon and uh, in preparation for this, I was like, this actually has kind of stumbled across the book in a friend's office. And I was like, I think, this is like connecting in a really helpful way. Um, and, and it was sort of convicting as well. Cause like the practice of the Sabbath is he talks about it at a certain point. And, um, and I realized that in getting into, you know, kind of the pandemic season, I had fallen out of the practice of, of a Sabbath just because it kind of felt like days felt so scrambled and there wasn't like such a clear cut, like kind of, um, you know, like this day's off and these days are on. And, and it was, um, yeah, it seemed like the weekly rhythm just kind of turned into a jumbled mess over the past several months. And this was convicting to say, no, you need to find time to practice the Sabbath. And if you're not, 
you're really just trying to live beyond your capabilities. And, and you're even like, you're even stepping outside of the blessing of God in doing so. Um, one of the really interesting things is that God actually blesses the Sabbath in the creation account. And he blesses a couple other things. And in each case, it, it has to do with this idea of fruitfulness. And uh, basically that there's life that comes with living in the blessing of God. And when we step outside of that, even when we're trying to do more, the result is that we actually have less. Um, and so it's like, I'll take six days with God's blessing um, any day over seven without it. There's actually, I heard another pastor say that. Um, and, and so it's just, yeah. So so I'm getting back into the practice of, of the Sabbath, definitely. Uh, solitude and silence is a big one. Um, I just recently switched my devotional time away from the morning into lunch now. And so I just, I do my devos over lunch and that's kind of been nice. I've never done that before, uh, but I'm, I'm enjoying that. Um, but yeah, I'd say that, that quiet time, that regular time with God on a daily basis, uh, that's a, that's a big one as well. So that's what it is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Noah, it's been so great having you with us. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, too bad Hillary couldn't make it, but hopefully her internet will be back in action next week. Um, All right, thanks, man. Yep, thanks. Thanks for listening this week and I hope you can join us for our next episode, which is actually gonna be a bit of a treat. We've got a special episode with one of our church-wide elders, Rod Penner, coming up uh, later this week. So hope you can join us for that. Thanks for listening.